Uh, good morning. This morning's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 2, verse, verses 11 to 22. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcisions by those who are called the circumcisions, a, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God and strangers oh wait, uh, in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace in flesh. He has made both groups into one, has broken down the dividing walls that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in the one body through the cross, thus putting death to hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and the peace to those who were near. For though him, both of us, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually in a dwelling place for God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, today we're talking about issues of exclusion. Uh, what happens after the phrase, you are different? <laughs> um, yesterday was, uh, how many of you know what was yesterday? It was the beginning of the Lunar New Year. Yes. Um, which is called differently in different countries. Um, uh, in Vietnam, it's called Tet. In Koreans, uh, in Korea, uh, Sol Nal. In, in uh, the Tibet, Losar. Also celebrated in Japan, but a by a large, uh, it's not really the new year for Japanese people, but uh, it is celebrated because they have a large Chinese um, community there, and they celebrate this. It used to be called Chinese New Year. Um, now it's called Lunar New Year. To keep up with these changes. Um, so I, last year, Horacio and I visited the um, Tacoma Chinese Reconciliation Park. How many of you have been there? Yeah? Okay. And when I did and I read the story uh, and I saw the pictures, I made a mental note to uh, include it in my message um, at this time when it was going to be the Lunar New Year. And today is it. So you're in luck. 
Now, if you're not from Tacoma, like I wasn't, maybe you're not familiar with the story. And uh, even if you are from Tacoma and you read the story and you studied in, in, in school, maybe, I don't know, do they teach that in school? Yeah? In Tacoma schools? <laughs> Depends on the school. Um, we don't have a governor banning that kind of stories. <laughs> um, but anyways, we're going to have a little refresher today. So we're going to watch a video. It's a short video in two parts. And uh, um, who's in charge of the video today? Tim, Tim, can we have the video now? In California around the, uh, 1949, the gold rush uh, time, and spread like fire through the West Coast and really took on here in the state of Washington. Um, and other states as well. Um, in 1873, the North, uh, Northern Pacific, Northern, Northern Pacific uh, Railway Company uh, brought Chinese laborers to build the tracks. That's why they used the, the, the tracks to, to represent them. Um, they built the terminal here in Tacoma uh, within the year, within the year. So by the end of uh, 73, they were done. And the company, the railway company, uh, leased them the land that belonged to them near the tracks and uh, near the waterfront right here in downtown, right here in downtown. And... Um, they established a community there. This is, uh, again, 1873. They, uh, well, 74, let's say, they started building the community. So there was a Chinatown in downtown Tacoma. And they had their stores, and they had their homes, and they, they had their living uh, among themselves, and they were very happy here. Um, until um, in the year of 1885. 1885 was a terrible year. There were attacks on Chinese on different cities and different states. There's a famous uh, massacre, the massacre of Rock Springs in Wyoming, for example, where the largest number of Chinese people died. Um, but there were also, in the month of September of um, uh, 1885, there were three um, attacks here in Washington State, one in Issaquah, the other in Newcastle, the other in Black Diamond, September, the same month. Um, earlier on that year, in uh, February, the mayor of the city, a man of German descent by the name of Jacob uh, Weisbach, Am I pronouncing that? Well, you're not sure, so that's okay. I can get away with that. Uh, German last name sometimes escaped me. <laughs> mm, he was concerned about the presence of the Chinese in Tacoma. He called a group of people. Um, he called 900 people to a meeting. 900 residents of Tacoma gathered and to decide a strategy on how to get rid of the Chinese. That's where the problems began earlier in 1885. Um, as a result of that meeting, a committee of 15 people, the Auster Committee of 15 was formed and they were to look for strategies. They created the Tacoma Method. 
And the Tacoma method was simply to give him a deadline that was November 1st of 1885, uh, a deadline to leave Tacoma, to leave Tacoma forcefully. They tried to convince him uh, through uh, talking to them and telling them it was in their best interest to leave or else. And, um, and many of them left. At the time they were, uh, and after the railroad was uh, uh, finished, the railroad terminal was finished, uh, there were about 700 Chinese people living in different parts of Tacoma, not only in Chinatown. There were some around Steel, um, Steel Street, uh, some around 17th Street uh, and Pacific, um, some scattered groups, but the majority were in Chinatown, here in downtown. Uh, about 500 of left, them left uh, upon the threats and, and, and the, uh, the expulsion looming over them, the, the exposure, uh, expulsion deadline, um, so they decided to leave. But about 200 remained. About 200 Chinese people remain in downtown. So come um, November 1st, um, on October 31st, there was a, a, a mob of 700 residents of Tacoma who walked through downtown telling them they better leave and that the next day there was going to be uh, a train um, departing, well, not the next day, two days later, the 3rd, November 3rd, a train departing the terminal to take them down to Portland in Oregon. I don't know if they asked Oregon if they wanted them, but they were shipping them to Portland. Um, and they were going to be forced into that train. So um, these people didn't leave. And sure enough, the mob came back and raised the community. They put them in the train uh, by force. They took them out of their homes. They broke windows and doors. They dragged women. There are uh, chronicles of all this um, that I read. Um, they dragged women by their hair uh, onto the streets. Uh, they did all kinds of vandalism to the uh, Chinese community, the, the Chinatown community, and um, put them in the train and sent them their way south, and then came back and burned everything. They burned everything that was left of the Chinese community, um, raised the community to the ground. They, um, they had little time to celebrate. Uh, the newspaper, the, the Tacoma Daily Journal, Ledger, thank you. The Tacoma Daily Ledger uh, had a, a, in big letters on the first page saying they left at last. Um, and they were happy, so the mayor organized uh, a ball to celebrate on November 7, a ball. They, they, the prominent people of Tacoma, uh, politicians, some high polit uh, uh, police officers, 
and businessmen gathered together in their gala to participate in that ball. And that was interrupted by police coming to pick up the 27 that had been indicted. 27 people had been indicted because of this unlawful um, act of expulsion. And they were indicted on felony conspiracy charges and taken to Vancouver, Washington, where they're going to be tried because obviously a fair trial was impossible in Tacoma. So they were taken to Vancouver only to return on the 12th of November. Are you following this uh, timeline? Kind of funny. Um, they were picked on the 7th and returned uh, acquitted on the 12th. Came back to Tacoma. Um, and were happy that there were no more Chinese uh, around them. They were um, celebrating. The 27 are written on a wall of infamy. If you go to the park, you can see their pictures. You can see who they were. You can see their names. And their names are forever etched in the memory of those who remember bad people doing bad things. But there is somebody, somebody who had the guts to stand up against all this. And that somebody, I'm proud to say, was a fellow clergy person, a clergyman by the name of, of Reverend Farland. Uh, he was a Presbyterian minister uh, who had come to Tacoma recently and before the expulsion and approached immediately by the big heads, uh, big wigs in the town to join their efforts to get rid of the Chinese. And he was so outraged by this that he used his pulpit to fight it. Uh, when he did preach a sermon against the expulsion, the upcoming expulsion, the, some members of his church who were among the 27 stood up in the middle of the sermon and left. Left the church and declared war on the reverend. And the reverend said, I'm going to preach against this until I don't have anybody else left in my church. He, he's stuck to his guns and to his guns he stuck. He was so threatened that he, they say that he used to walk around Tacoma with two guns on him for protection because the, thing, the, the whole thing was really ugly and dangerous. But he was courageous and he was the only voice that is, uh, and I used the expression before, etched in history as the voice of justice, as the voice of community, as the voice of uh, reconciliation and living together and loving each other and accepting each other. There was another man there by the name of Ezra Meekers who was against the expulsion, but he didn't want the Chinese either, only that he didn't think the method was right. But the reverend wanted the Chinese to stay and for everybody to be um, a community together. So that's, that's what I read in the history. 
because of everything the Reverend wrote and said, President Cleveland ended up offering the, the China um, government uh, a sum of money as um, repair money, uh, $276,000 more or less. Um, back in the day, it was a lot of money, and, and that's what the United States did to repair the Tacoma um, method. Although there was a great Chinese, anti-Chinese sentiment in the country, and even the, I forgot to tell you, but you know this, the, the National Chinese Exclusion uh, Act was signed in 1882 as a national law. Um, still, there was, a, there, there was uproar about what Tacoma has done, had done. We, rewind, we pass forward uh, a lot of years, and in 1991, uh, a certain Dr. David Murdoch comes to Tacoma, also from the outside, and I couldn't find out where he was coming from, but, uh, but he came, moved to Tacoma, a doctor, a medical doctor, and learned about all this, and he said, we need to do something about that. And this is interesting because a lot of voices nowadays talk about uh, for example, what we have done to the Native Americans that, uh, whose lands we took. And we talk about what we have done to the African Americans we took as slaves. And, uh, and people say, well, what can we do now? You know, it's like, okay, this is past history. What can we do now? Dr. Murdoch had an idea, and he started raising funds and inspired the creation of the Reconciliation Park. You may say it's a tokenism. It won't change the lives of those 700 Chinese people who lived here. But it will give us a sense of recognizing what we have done wrong and recognizing that from here on we want to do better. We even have a sister church in China, in Foso, China. You can look it up. The park opened in 2011. The scripture that was read today says that of the two peoples, he made one, Jesus, through his love, and because we are all Christians, that's the implication in the passage, because we are all Christians, because you are Christians and we are Christians, then we can be one. What I want to bring to you today is uh, half of that statement. I want to say because we are Christians, we can be one with the world. We don't need the world to be Christians so we can be one with them. So we can reconcile with people we have hurt, with people we have uh, cast aside. We don't need them to be Christians. That has been something, an idea that the church has developed through years. And, and I, for some reason, it uh, doesn't resonate with me. That only if you're a Christian, I can be your sister. I think we can be brothers and sisters with anyone because we are Christians, because we are in Christ.
we can reconcile with the world. We don't need the Israelis to become Christians. We don't need the Palestinians to become Christians. We just need to be Christians ourselves to wish peace and work reconciliation. We want to be reconciled with the world because the world needs it. Jeff, thank you for mentioning what you mentioned during the call to worship that, that we are living difficult times and we're exhausted. We're exhausted. It's, it's, it's just terrible to deal with the news these days. We live in a world that doesn't make any sense, but you see, the world never made sense. It's not a new thing. We live in a crazy world. And I'm all, in, 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 in the midst of that crazy world, God calls us to be agents of reconciliation. So, I know this has been a little longer. I'm going to say one more thing. We as a church had a retreat back in October where we started talking about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We engaged the services of a consultant to help us manage diversity, to help us understand one another and understand what we don't understand yet, whatever that is. I believe, and some of you know this, some of you don't, but my doctoral thesis in 2003 was multicultural ministry. I have had this in my heart for many years now, many years. Because I'm convinced that multicultural churches embody reconciliation. So when you have an opportunity to talk to Julia, Julia is our consultant, and you will have an opportunity to talk with her, to get to know her. Some of our leaders have met her already. She's coming to meet with the staff tomorrow, and um, she's going to be around for a while, and she's going to try to teach us a few things. When we do that activity, let's not take it as another chore as another thing that, oh, another program of the church. Oh, the church now has this program going on. This is a program of re transformation. It's a program of reconciliation. It's a program for life. It's a program to be different. Not to go through something that is in fashion or something that is a, a, a fad. This is to learn how to be different so we don't fall into the steps of the oppressors. We stay away from them knowing how to. Let us learn and learn for life how to be reconciled with one another. In the words of Reverend McFarland, let us be community together with anybody else who's different. So, the words that come after, you're so different from me, can be, I want to learn about you. 
And I want to be different with you. God bless you all.